For the 4th of July last year, Carrie and I watched Hamilton. Disney had released it online, and I had been too cheap to buy tickets when it had come to town before. And I loved it. I got completely sucked into it. I've, I've watched it several times. I listened to the music. I've seen the behind-the-scenes video. It takes me back to the fifth grade, social studies with Mr. Murphy. And we all had to read biographies of people who had been involved in the American Revolution or the early nation up through the War of 1812. My guy? Alexander Hamilton. I got super into learning about Hamilton. And I don't remember exactly which biography I read. But I do remember reading some of the Federalist Papers and beginning to understand the role of the United States Treasury. And on my paper, Mr. Murphy wrote a question that I had not addressed in my little paper. He wrote, why do you think that Hamilton didn't become president? Well, my sources told me that he was under personal financial pressure. Yeah. And he was also twice blackmailed after having an extramarital affair. But the history book that I was given didn't get into any of that. The musical sure does. I honestly didn't know the answer to Mr. Murphy's question until last 4th of July. There's this idea that if we whitewash over Hamilton's sins, try to celebrate that Thomas Jefferson signed the Declaration of Independence saying that all men are created equal, but whitewash that he also wrote a few years later that the blacks are inferior to the whites in endowments of both body and mind. This whitewashing is connected to a fear that becoming educated about the whole truth will somehow undermine and destroy the nation. Now, when I was in fifth grade, it was fairly easy to control the access that I had to information. It was limited to what was in the library and the encyclopedia, and those were accurate, but not always the whole truth. Today, everyone has access to amazing resources in seconds. Anything you or I say can be fact-checked in moments. Although the librarians in our midst will also remind us that not all sources are entirely reliable. There is this idea that if we are exposed to the whole truth, then our faith, our trust in this nation will crumble and die. So we create gatekeeper tests to determine if your beliefs are indeed pure and if you are indeed orthodox, believing all the right things. This summer, we are considering the different titles that have been given to Jesus. And one of my absolute favorites titles for Jesus is The Way. 
Jesus' followers were terrified that they could not go on without him. So Thomas, his friend, asked him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? So in the face of their fear, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I love those words. It is so freeing for me to think of Jesus as a way of living, a path to living this life that I have fully and abundantly. And then there is the next sentence. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus also refers to himself like this. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They'll come in and go out and find pasture. These verses have been used to create a purity test for Christians. If you don't become Christian and believe all the right things, then you will rot in hell. Love it or leave it. You're either in or you're out. I'm guessing you've heard this before. And sadly, for a long time, turn or burn tactics have been associated with Christ's church. It's a tactic that celebrates this idea that truth will set you free, but instead it's kind of a trap. It's conditional. It tells you that you're free and saved so long as you accept the gatekeeper's rules, so long as you never doubt or question, even if there is evidence to the contrary. My friend and mentor, Diana, has struggled with this whole idea. And once while she was out on a walk, she had an epiphany. She was enjoying this walk on a public path near some farms. The path came to a point where it was crossing a farmer's field. And there was this gate that allowed walkers in and out of the field. And there was a sign on the gate, beware of bull. Okay. And sure enough, as Diana and her friend crossed the field, there indeed was a big bull in the field that didn't mess with them as they crossed. And Diana had an epiphany. Sometimes on your life's journey, you find yourself in a field with a lot of bull. Maybe you stay in that field. Maybe you stay in that job, that relationship, because you feel like it's where you need to be. There's something that feeds you in that pasture. And you can learn to live with the bull and even the bullying. You can figure out how to get by. But there are always other pastures. And God's Spirit, the Spirit that led Jesus, can lead you through the gate to be where you need to be. Jesus as a way of living is more than just a gate, but also a guide, a shepherd along the path and in the pastures that we find ourselves. 
these United States are one of those pastures where we find ourselves. And we must be aware of the bull. There are those who would whitewash the past, edit history out of a fear that the nation would crumble if the whole truth be known. There are those who fear that churches will close unless they can scare people into staying in the pasture with the bull. You know, that's not me. When I think of Jesus as my way, I see him as living this life without that kind of fear, without that kind of bullying. I think that this nation is at its best. It's at its best when we celebrate the whole truth, that we are broken and beautiful. That at the same time, the pilgrims of old who promoted religious liberty, they killed those in who lived in the land that they settled. At the same time that we proclaim the ideals of freedom, we denied freedom to people based on skin color and gender. We can admit that Alexander Hamilton and Thomas Jefferson were liars and also pulled together some pretty amazing ideas. We don't have to be blind to our flaws, our sins, because truthfully, if we are, there is no way to repent and grow. The strength, the courage that it takes to face our whole truth, our whole selves, without pretension, that's where we find ourselves at our best. Because that is exactly how God sees you and loves you. That is exactly how God sees us. These United States are a pasture where we find ourselves with the scary bull, with the gatekeepers who spew fear. But this is where we are. And just in a few years, we will become a nation without a racial majority. That's huge. It's time to dream of cities that are perhaps a little less alabaster and just to paint it a little more with every color of the rainbow. It's time to imagine how we can be a nation of promise for all people. And I believe this. I believe this in my core of my being, that church communities like this one, we can stand for the power of God's love to heal and renew this nation and this world. I believe that he committed community that welcomes all sorts of doubters, seekers, skeptics, misfits, and outsiders. A community like that can demonstrate the strength that comes from facing our flaws without fear. That our strength and our dignity comes from a loving God. 
Jesus is the way that speaks to and through us in the midst of our fear. Jesus speaks to, the, who, to those who fear that this nation is dying. Jesus speaks to those who fear the death of their business, their marriage, their church community, their spouse. Jesus speaks a resurrection promise to anyone who feels the chains of fear. Jesus once said, I assure you, that unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it can only be a single seed. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. No matter what comes in this life and into the next, the way promises new life. Death is never the end. I believe that the hope that a community like this can contribute in the face of fear is essential. We can live in a way that demonstrates this truth. Honestly, it is the greatest gift I can think of to give this nation on its birthday.